Happy Halloween, you creeps. Hi, it's me, Ben Blacker, the creator and host of the Writers Panel. Thanks for giving us a listen today. Um, a really interesting episode today with author Paul Tremblay, who has been a guest before. I'm such a fan of Paul's work. Um, I first read his um, 2015 novel, A Head Full of Ghosts, which is hands down the best possession book I've ever read. It may be the best horror book I've ever read. I really love that novel, um, and it's absolutely worth your time. Paul has done a ton of really interesting and different sorts of books since then, um, including The Cabin at the End of the World, which is this, you know, sort of philosophical thriller uh, that was made into a pretty good movie uh, by by M. Night Shyamalan uh, last year or a couple years ago. Uh, he also, in 2022, released The Pallbearers, which is a really great, like, horror novel, but also a very personal novel that that is absolutely worth your time. His latest is The Beast You Are, uh, a collection of short stories that are all terrific and all different. It's it's absolutely worth checking out. And that's the focus of our conversation today is on short stories, the short form, and translating horror, uh, the personal into horror. So we'll, we'll talk to Paul uh, in a moment about that. Meantime, um, so we're, we're about two months post-strike. Is it that? I haven't checked the math. It feels like it could be two weeks. I don't know. It's such a weird time right now. Um, I'm surprised by some of the stuff that is happening, and I can speak only to my own career here. Um, it's stuff that I'm, I'm hoping I can tell you all about soon over on the newsletter, uh, which is benblacker.substack.com. Um, please go over and subscribe uh, and if you enjoy the podcast, if the podcast means anything to you, if it's been helpful to you at all, um, it would mean a lot to me if you became a paid subscriber and supported both the podcast and the newsletter. Uh, this month over on the newsletter, my live Zoom Q&A guest is the great Ben Edlund. And Ben is a pal we met uh, on Supernatural years and years ago, um, but he's been a good friend um, since then. Um, we're talking to Ben as part of the live Zoom Q&A on November 18th. Um, all the details will be on the Substack newsletter. Those live Q&As are hour-long conversations with pro writers like Ben, uh, who is the creator of The Tick, who worked on Supernatural, who uh, worked on a number of kind of cool and interesting projects and always puts his unique stamp on it. Um the live Zoom Q&As are where you ask the questions of these folks and they answer them. And every one of these that we've done, this will be uh, our, I think our 12th, uh, a year's worth. Every one of these that we've done has been helpful and inspiring and full of like really practical information, but also great ideas about writing. Um, so if you would like to join that, go over to the Substack, benblacker.substack.com, become a paid subscriber, and join us for the conversation with Ben Edlund, as well as gaining access to all of the recordings of the past Q&As that we've done with folks like Jane Espenson and Akela Cooper, um, Jose Molina, uh, Javi Griot Markswatch, Jenny Klein was last month and was terrific. It's been, they've been really great. So 
For access to those and to join future Q&As, go to benblacker.substack.com. Support this podcast and support the newsletter and support me. Thank you. It really means a lot. Um, I hope you have an enjoyable, spooky Halloween. Um, And please enjoy this conversation with author Paul Tremblay. They write, they talk, and talk about what they write. Tune in tonight, or whenever the time is right. It's the Writer's Panel with Ben Blacker, and it's starting now. Oh, yeah! But that's it. We're doing it. This is a podcast. Uh, Paul Paul Tremblay is back. Um, Paul, thanks for chatting. You have this new book out, uh, The Beast You Are, which is a collection of shorter pieces, and, and one longish piece. Uh, which we will talk about. Um, but it, weirdly, the thing I'm most interested in in this minute uh, before we sort of get rolling on the specific top topic of horror is what happens when you are an author with a book out? What is your life? What has your life looked like the past couple of months? I guess it's been about a month, right? Yeah, uh, I, maybe almost pushing two at this point. But uh, and it's great to talk to you again, Ben. Uh, yeah, my, my summer was a little bit different. I mean, I won't go too personal, but I ended up doing like a, a two-week book tour while I had a concussion. Uh, and, and I didn't know I had a concussion for at least half of that book tour, so that was kind of weird. That's horrifying. Yeah, I, I basically had like a Vasil Vogel fainting spell in mid-June. Um, so, I mean, I knew I fainted, and I knew it wasn't a big deal because I experienced it like once before, like 10 years ago. Not, you know, nothing that needs to be treated. Uh it's a fairly common thing, especially for tall people getting up too quickly at night, blah, blah, blah. So anyway, but the thing was, I didn't know, I didn't know I'd hit my head. Like I didn't have like an obvious bump or a gash. So I just like started preparing for the beast you are like <laughs> tour and like, oh man, I got all these weird headaches. I'm feeling really foggy. So yeah. So, I mean, that part of it made, cause those, because I didn't take care of myself right away, those symptoms lingered. So uh, this was a very, this was a very dreamlike foggy uh, sort of tour, but it was fun. That's yeah. I was actually going to ask about that, like, because I know that having toured with shows and, and stuff like that, and and it can be a, a kind of dreamlike and foggy experience anyway. <laughs> so how what was like, did this feel different? And you were like, oh, God, something's wrong. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I st- you know, I went to and called the doctors a few times, but like sort of in the moment when I was doing stuff, it was OK. It was more sort of like, oh, like when you slow down and notice, you know, I shouldn't be feeling like this. But uh yeah, no, I mean, this the summer was really fun because I just about every event I did, I got to share with a, another writer, you know, and another writer slash friend uh, who I really admired for just about every, or not just about, for all of, for all of the events, um, you know, including like starting, I got to go to Minneapolis for the first time, which I'd never been to, um, you know, and did a, did an event at, at the Loft Literary Festival with, with Caroline Kepnes, and that was like two days before the book officially came out. Um, yeah. And so like, yeah, my concussion head, <laughs> I, I got to do my, I got to do like the day the book came out event with uh, Clemence Michelin, which was a lot of fun. We share the same, uh, the same agent and she had a book just out too. So that was a lot of fun at the Brookline Booksmith. Yeah, I did. I'll, I'll just mention a couple more. I did one with Joe Hill, you know, in the power of Joe Hill. So there was like 60, 70 people at that one. So that was really cool. Uh, the last event I did that I, I sort of consider the tour, which was kind of fun and unique, was myself and Michael Carita uh, at 
sort of an upscale furniture store in Maine. Uh, my my cousin uh, works in in sales for Thomas Moser, you know, which makes like handmade wooden furniture. And I know he's just been so supportive. Of my book is like, oh, you should do an event at the store. Like we always do, like we often do art shows and other stuff. I'm like, all right, yeah, let's do it. So that was that was kind of fun. Uh, I could like my reader, like a lot of my readers that showed up, you know, as I am dressed, the you know, I don't know if there's a video for this, but I'm dressed in a like you know a black horror shirt. It was kind of funny to see like some of my readers show up early and you know cool black t-shirts walking into this furniture like i don't know i would describe it as a high-end furniture store like are we in the right place I'm like yes you are like thanks for coming <laughs> <laughs> um that's a, that sounds like a, a blast is this a sort of is this a bigger endeavor than you've gotten to do for previous books no i mean it, it's pretty much about the same like you know without throwing my p- publisher too much under the bus <laughs> like i mean it depends on the writers and depends on like the publishers too like how much they want to put behind a tour you know, I ended up booking like half the dates myself. I think events actually really do help the book quite a bit. It gives you another excuse to talk about it online, you know, especially if you're sharing events with other people, you know, they talk about it. So maybe you're getting exposed to different readers. Um, but I know like in big publishing, you know, a lot of the talk is that it's not worth the expense, blah, blah, blah. So, you know, they didn't, you know, I got to go to Minneapolis that the the law festival brought me out there, which was great. So like, you know, everything else I, I got myself there, you know, the wasn't like the publisher was paying me to go here and there. Yeah. Which I know is sort of par for the course these days, like that, that sort of publicity that, that around the uh, release of the book is disappearing fast. It feels like. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, it's, you know, it's funny, like you read stories about oh, independent bookstores doing great. And then like, you're hearing, oh, publishing is doing terribly. Like, well, which one is it? I don't know. Um, yeah. So I don't know. It's just more weirdness to a strange time. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I mean, look, yeah, it's all strange time. Um. So The Beast You Are is, am I right? It's your second collection of short stories? Uh, second collection with William Morrow. Like when, you know, I'd, I'd published two uh, with small indie presses, you know, one one way back in like 2005 and then one in 2010. But yeah, these two are other ones that are much more easily available. How does short start to start to take shape for you? I mean, I'm, I'm sure some of these were published elsewhere, but I actually didn't look up. Uh, you can tell me that. Um, how you know over time? How do these happen while you're working on novels? How does this happen while you're teaching? How does this happen? What's it? What are, what does shorts? The approach to shorts look like for you? Well, it's funny. Like when I first started getting serious about writing, or even before I was serious, when I was very much a hobbyist, like everything I wrote was short stories. That was always sort of my first attempt. You know, and some of that was a reflection of. You know, obviously I'd read like Stephen King and Pierce Straub and, and Barker and, and Shirley Jackson and stuff. But like my other sort of early exposure to horror was falling in love with a, uh, with a Joyce Carol Oates short story called Where Are You Going? Where Have You Been? So I I, I seeked out a few uh, of her collections, uh, one called Haunted. And also she edited an anthology that I read and reread called American Gothic Tales. I think. Um, and so that was published, I think, you know, in the mid nineties, you know, and that was like a really nice sort of snapshot of American short stories from like the late 1800s up through then present day, you know, the, the mid nineties, you know, so like my first attempts like, Oh, like I never felt like I could write a novel. So I, I, not that writing a short story is necessarily easier, but just in my early writer brain, that was like, okay, I'll try these. Um, and you know, then I eventually worked up to novel. So it's funny in the last 10 years or so, or really since a head full of ghosts, which was came out in 2015, I feel like I've been in 
way more in novel mode than I have been in short story mode. And I'm finding it harder to switch at times. Um, although I will say like, I've never had the experience of, Oh, this is a short story and it blows up into a novel or this is a novel that ends up not. <laughs> well, maybe some readers can accuse some of my novels of being expanded short stories, but yeah. So, I mean, the process for me is like, I always think of short stories as, you know, even if they take place over, longer periods of times but to me there's some sort of central one scene like there's like to me that's like i'm writing about this one scene even though i'm going to write about other things that maybe either lead up to it or result in it you know to me that's like the flashpoint that's the focus and you know the fun is to have how do you make that little moment in time you know be somewhat expansive um whereas the novel i think i've um, i imagine it more as like stitching together sort of some of those same moments, like, you know, maybe like there's three crucial scenes that I have in mind in a novel that, that have to sort of, sort of stitch together. Does the short story work a different part of your writer brain? That's a great question. Um, I mean, it's definitely a different way of writing. Like, um, I don't know if I fully mapped the writer brain and I'm afraid to, <laughs> to be honest. Uh, and I will say like, I, I haven't, I haven't written I haven't written very many short stories within the last five years because I've been very, for I mean, that just, just on whims, I've been very fortunate in that area where like, you know, I'm very lucky that people will come ask me for a short story and, um, you know, and if I can fit it in, you know, and I, you know, I'll, I'll say yes. And actually oftentimes that can be kind of fun because I usually spend like 12 to 15 months on a novel. That's well, nice every once in a while, maybe twice a year, three times a year to take a couple of weeks off to work on a short story. Um, cause then I, you know, I get to go back to the novel with, with, uh, you know, fresh eyes on it. Something I was thinking about, um, you know, having been asked to like contribute to anthology things in the past, I always find myself like, oh God, I have no material for that specifically. Do you have sort of a bank in your brain or outside of your brain? That's like, here are the stories I'd like to get to someday. Oh, this one, as you rifle through, this one is feels like a short story or like how do those those start to present themselves to you? I mean, there's a, if there's a bank, if there's not much money in it, there's been a run on the bank. Um, no, like, I mean, so, I mean, I keep little notebooks around and, and I'll jot down like ideas and, uh, and then sometimes, you know, I'll, I'll go to those. Yeah. So sometimes I have short stories to sort of wait around for a more complete sort of inspiration, but like, you know, oftentimes like the lead story in the beast you are, uh, Ice Cold Lemonade crossed out Haunted House Tours. You know, Ellen Dallas said, hey, I want you to write, you know, I'm doing this big ghost story anthology. Can you can you write me a story? Um, and I'd had this vague idea of, um, you know, my, my daughter used to sell lemonade at the end of our driveway, which is kind of a weird thing. And so, of course, I was like, oh, it'd be weird if she started inviting people in the house and selling tours. So I, I had like a vague notion. I didn't do anything with it. I just had it sitting around. I was like, oh, okay, this will be a cool ghost story. So if things are lying around, it's it's stuff like that, I suppose. Um, but yeah, otherwise, um, I don't know. Like sometimes, like you just have to like you're you're asked for a short story and you have to write one. So I have to, I have to go hunting for something. Um, I don't know. To me, I mean, as much as there's anxiety in that, and, and novel wise, there's more anxiety in that. It's like, oh man, I, what's the next novel? The hunt for the short story actually, I find that to be more fun, less less anxious. Because, you know, I don't have to spend 300 pages on it. I can, you know, if, if it fails, which short stories do all the time, it's not a big deal. I can, that's not as heartbreaking or heart or soul crushing 
you're spending less time with it. You're, there's less weight on it as a smaller thing. Um, so in this, in this ideation period, whether it's for a novel or a short story, um, like what's, what's the hook for you? Like it, like lemonade stand feels like such a clear hook, but do you find yourself asking like, where's the horror or where's the character or where's the hook? You know, what, what gets you into a story? I mean, usually once, yeah, once there's the what if, like, then I, I tend to think of characters, but uh, the hook for me is, you know, I'll have all sorts of like terrible ideas. I mean, you know, which is fine. Um, you know, and, you know, I think all writers, you, you know, you should play with every, you know, every idea that you get, you should, you know, mess around with it. And then you'll know, like, you know, I'll get an idea. It's like, oh, maybe that's pretty cool. And I'm really excited about it for like a day. But then it stops. So I kind of know, okay, maybe, you know, there's issues with that one or, you know, I'll write something down to have it in a notebook. But for me, the sign is I keep thinking about it and thinking about it. And then like, uh, while I'm not thinking about it, some sort of, some sort of thing will connect to it. It could be a character or it could be, oh, this would happen next or this could happen before. And that to me, that's a sign if I'm, if, 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 if the idea sort of pops up when I'm not actively thinking about it, that's sort of like, okay, I think. That's a clear sign I'm interested in this enough that I want to spend more time with it. For you, is horror writing, you know, like comedy writing for some of, for some of us where you're like, oh, the jokes will come. That I'm not <laughs> worried about. I know that's the genre I'm in. Right now, I just want to nail down the structure and the characters, like tell the story without worrying about that. Or is it intrinsic to the story that you're telling? Well, my, my hope is I try to make it intrinsic to the story. Like one of my earliest lessons as a writer was in the early 2000s when I was just writing mainly short stories, I wrote one that was published online. I was very, you know, got paid for it. Very proud of it. And a writer that I admired, like, Hey, like I read just mentioned, Hey, I read your story. It would have been great even without the horror part of it. You know, and he was a horror writer, so he wasn't like throwing shade, but I was just like, Oh, like it made me stop and think I'm like, Oh, huh. And to me, that was like a lesson. Like, Oh, I have to serve the story. Um, and not try to force elements into it. Um, you know, I mean, I should say either not force elements into it or make sure it's thematically part of the deal. Like it, it has to, it has to be why the story is being told. So you can have that part in there. You know, my interests kind of go in that sort of direction anyway. And I'm, you know, I'm super fortunate that my editor and publisher really allows me a, <laughs> a lot of leeway as to what could be a horror story or not a horror story. You know, it certainly doesn't boil down to the scare. I don't think horror boils down to what's scary. Um, yeah. So, but, you know, but sometimes like, you know, you, you, like I've been assigned essentially, Hey, can you write us a short story? It's a part of a horror collection and, you know, there needs to be some sort of horrific element to it. So at that point, it's a weird little dance of you're fishing for a specific idea to be horror. So you are trying to force some of the things together, but I'm still trying to think in terms of, okay, you know, if this is going to be a horror story, thematically, the horror has to be, you know, part of everything along with, you know, whatever else goes in it. Is, do you find the, you know, again, like you've written a number of books at this time, you've been doing this professionally for a while. Um, do you find that the types of horror that you're interested in has changed? You know, probably, but, you know, I'm, I'm not 100% sure like what those types are. Uh, although it's sort of interesting to compare this collection to the one previous. There's a lot of like giant monster stories in this one. And I've sort of been saying, for years, like a semi-obnoxiously, it's like, oh, I'd love to write a giant monster novel. So I think that's been in my head so much that 
so many of these short stories and actually the novella in the collection, you know, features some sort of giant monster. So I think I, I sort of worked that out of my system. Um, I don't know that. I mean, that's, that's sort of something I think about, like, cause so many of my previous novels were about families and, you know, younger kids, sometimes teenagers. And, you know, we were discussing before we started recording, uh, you know, my kids are older now. So am I going to write like empty nest horror? What does that look like? You know, which is a little anxiety inducing, but also at the same time, it is kind of exciting to be, oh, what, you know, what, uh, you know, you worry, like, are you going to be able to write? And then, you know, stuff happens and, you know, just like it did before and you get to take bits from your life. And then the thing that you write ends up looking nothing like sort of you, but it was you kind of thing. This Right. The seed was some anxiety that you had, something you cared about, some, some fear that you had, uh, but it turns into this metaphor, right? <laughs> That's good writing. Um, everyone, it's easy. Just do it. It's, it's, I, I don't know, like, it, it's, a, it's an interesting thing to me, that it does feel like our anxieties do change as we age. And, and I, you know, hopefully get smarter and, and learn more about the world. Um, do you feel like, it's funny that this collection has a bunch of giant monster stories in it. Other than I love giant monsters. Where do you like, does that speak to some anxiety? Well, I mean, I think it's a little bit of, you know, if I, you know, in thinking about some of these, I mean, cause some of these giant monster stories, you know, there's horror, but there's also like the, the awe aspect of horror as well. And I don't know, as I'm, you know, thinking about getting older, you know, the kids are getting older. Um, my introduction to horror was giant monsters. Again, we're not on video, but you're wearing a creature double feature t-shirt you know, which is a show that I grew up with. Um, and the hook for me was, you know, the Godzilla movies and Gamera that they would show. And then I would watch the horror movies afterwards and they would scar me. But like, to me, the the giant monster was such a a part of the, you know, the fun, the awe, the, you know, the awe of possibility, even if it's horrific, um, is a draw to horror. You know, as an adult, it's also become more, you know, I feel like horror you know, uh, when done correctly in art can, you know, do some really heady stuff. Like it exposes like a terrible truth and you get to see what the characters, you know, how they react to that. And I found that really interesting, but there's still that, you know, there's still that kid wonder. I hope I still have that kid wonder for a long time in me of, of the giant monster. Um, yeah. So I don't know if, if that's what it represents sort of like the dual, <laughs> the dual brains or the dual attractions to horror. That's neat. Um, and I, I, you know, from a, technical standpoint like giant monster is not it's inexpensive to pull off in prose but it's kind yeah. of tough to pull off in <laughs> prose um what what's your approach to capturing that thing that you that awe that you felt as a kid man i mean that's a great question because i think about that because i mean the question about like how would you do a giant monster novel i'm like oh man i couldn't you can't do that how can you keep that going for hundreds of pages and like you know, all the giant monster stories have been done. And then like, yeah, you, know, you get like a sort of a goofy idea, you know, when you go with it or, you know, cause there's a very, very short story about three pages long called uh, mostly size. And it's about, you know, a giant monster basically just flattens the city. And there's like this one kid left and, and the kid sort of represents the awe of seeing this monster and his question in his head is like, geez, I wonder how a giant monster could sharpen a pencil, which is sort of a very goofy thing, but a kid thing to think about, you know, it doesn't end well. I mean, it definitely has a very horrific ending, but, you know, there's that mix. So I don't know. I mean, I think, you know, I when I'm sitting down to write, I don't necessarily worry about, oh, is this going to feel, you know, emotionally authentic? Like, I don't think about those big things necessarily until I get deeper into the story. Even when we were talking about earlier, you have to make sure it's part of the theme. 
that's the stuff like you kind of figure out as you go. Um, there's always that danger when you talk about writing or where so much of it is left to the subconscious um, as, as it should be. You know, it's just as long as by the time you get to the end of whatever it is you're doing, if you can justify to yourself why everything's there and you might be wrong. I mean, it could be a wrong decision, but at, at least if you can justify, oh, this is why I did this. This is why it's here, blah, blah, blah. Um, then, I mean, that's all I'm, that's, I feel like that's all I can ask of myself by the time I get to the end of something. Yeah, it makes sense. And it's an, it's a good question too, because it's one that I get a lot, especially from new writers in any medium. And it's about how do you trust those decisions, right? And in part, you know, my answer is always like, you just do, you learn by doing it. Um, but it's also a constant learning process. I, I'm curious to hear about, you know, probably in some of the longer stuff you've done, getting to those big decisions and and trusting that you've made the right one and seeing your way through it. I, so like, I'm always trying to, I'm the number one reader that I'm trying to satisfy. Like my ultimate goal is that I want to write something that I want to read. Uh, you know, I, and I feel what I'm going to say is like, I feel this too. And I can't imagine being a younger writer or maybe they're more used to it because they just live, you know, they've been living in the social media sort of world forever. But the idea that we're just, we're just bombarded with so many opinions. Like it's hard to not like just be overwhelmed. Even, even if like you're writing something and, and you haven't talked about it online, it's just like, we're so used to like, Oh, I need to know what, this opinion is on this or this opinion is on that. And honestly, as a writer at a certain point, you have to be somewhat ruthless against opinions. You have to shield yourself against them. I mean, obviously there's going to be a time where you're going to want to welcome beta readers or, or, or people to give you critical, uh, you know, sort, sort of a critique of your story, you know, to give you help. But, but also you need to keep like a really ornery jerk inside of your writer brain. That's ready to defend what you did. Yeah, you know, they're gonna that ornery jerk's gonna be wrong. And that's sort of the other balance is figuring out when the ornery jerk is wrong and, and when they're not wrong. But you need to have some of that. It can't, it can't be all what other people say about your story is true and what you think is not true. It can't. You 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 will not you will not be happy that way as a writer. You just won't, whether or not like you're successful. Um, but like to go back to what you said, like how do you get to that point? You just have to write and you know, and experience, experience those things, experience bad criticism from other people. When I say bad criticism that, you know, doesn't really help your story or, or is way off. Um, yeah. So I don't know. Like, for, so basically for me, I give myself the 24 hour rule, uh, even with my editor, who's a genius, you know, if they, you know, when she gives me edits on my book, I, I will not respond for 24 hours. Cause usually I know myself, I'm like, I, you know, my inner jerk is like, no, she's wrong. This is great. And and then usually after 24 hours of pouting and tantruming, I can be way more objective. It, it's a good practical tip too, honestly. Like take some time, give yourself a little bit of distance because our, our, we put so much of ourselves in this, right? That the knee-jerk reaction is always, how dare you? <laughs> um, but it also suggests the question to me, like when do you fight for your stuff and when do you you know, when do you know you're wrong and go ahead and, and change it? Yeah. I, so, I mean, honestly, like that part of it's, I feel like I've trained myself to deal with it. Like the 24 hour thing. It's like, it's a pretty, you know, like, cause in the instant that you read it, you know, I don't know, maybe it's the math brain, you know, cause I teach math in me. It's, I'm always trying to think of, Oh, well 
not as an equation, but like I've got all these like logical things in my head as to why this is here, this is here, blah, blah, blah. So like instantly, you know, the inner me is trying to defend against any sort of criticism, um, unless it's like so obvious, like right off the bat. But like I said, after 24 hours, you know, you know, I'll find those quiet moments where it's like I'm thinking about it, but not really thinking about it. So like the defenses are down a little bit. Yeah. I mean, so it, it's a hard balance. Like, you know, yeah, I don't know. I wish I had the, the magic answer. Because I mean, I, definitely as a younger writer, I made, mis- you know, I certainly made mistakes by responding, you know, and not like I didn't do anything terribly, but like, you know, responding like right off the bat to, you know, criticism. I was like, oh, you know, actually, <laughs> you know, that person was right, you know, about this thing or, or going back to it. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's sort of the very weird part about being a writer. So many of us write because we're more comfortable being sort of in our own heads and alone doing this weird thing. Uh, but there's inescapably, for most of us, inescapably social things that we have to do. And that's not necessarily easy for all of us. Uh, you know, unless you're just some like died in the wool genius that, you know, just starts writing and is, is great from page one, but there aren't a lot of those people around. Yeah, exactly. Um, I'm, I'm along these lines. I'd love to hear about the title story in the beast you are. Why don't you sort of set the groundwork for the conversation and then we can talk about why the approach uh, was the one that you made. I'll just say, so for fun, like, again, my editor is very patient. She's very patient with me, my poor editor. <laughs> this was the rare case where I had this thing, the bones of the story sitting around. And it was one of the few times where I actually thought about, like, the publishing world. Uh, like, oh, I really want to write this weird anthropomorphic free verse giant monster animal book, but there's no way anyone would publish this. So I, I just sort of like put it off. Uh, and then when my agent and I pitched the Paul Bears Club, they offered the Paul Bears Club a collection and another book. And we didn't pitch another collection. That was totally unexpected. And so I was like, oh, a collection. I could take that thing and write, I'll write it as a novella. And that's how I will get it published. Um, and I did the thing of where, you know, you don't ask was it don't ask for permission apologize or whatever yeah i'm right. butchering the same <laughs> yeah, yeah but yeah i didn't tell i didn't tell jen that this is what i was writing um yeah until i turned it's like oh she, i said here's the collection she's like great did you write any original stories from it and i was like yes i did i wrote one but it's a really long one um and she was very funny she was like you know this, i love this this is great but i don't know what to do with it she didn't even give me any edits <laughs> uh but yeah, but my the copy editor happened to be uh, a woman who has a degree in like folklore and stuff. So you know her her help was was uh, invaluable. Um, even the stuff with like punctuation, she's like, "Hey, what's the what's the rubric for like where are you putting commas and and uh, and periods on this?" I'm like, "I don't have one. I'm open to suggestions." <laughs> anyway, <laughs> that's so interesting. Like in so many ways, like you gave yourself this learning experience in this thing does it feel like it's this form is out of your system or is it something you want to tackle more of oh um i mean maybe mostly out of my system however i mean I, you know i probably wait a little while but that was the most fun i've ever had writing honestly uh yeah and it's not to say it was easy because it definitely wasn't it took you know it took a long time but i really enjoyed it and <laughs> often i don't enjoy writing which is maybe sort of like a wise ass thing to say but I don't know, like everybody else, I procrastinate and like you sort of browbeat yourself as you're writing. Like I'm very, I'm always very happy after I finish writing because then I feel like, okay, I did what I was supposed to do. That went pretty well. 
but now like writing the, the novella i was like laughing out loud at times <laughs> which i'd never experienced before what a great feeling um is there anything to and listen i don't want to i don't want to dig too deeply in it cuz i don't want to like take away the experience from these things but is there anything to listen you know you've written thousands of pages you know how to do that right you know how to do you know how to do prose you could you could spit out a bad story that would still be very readable so trying something new had that sort of joy of of discovery i would imagine yeah for sure i mean that i mean there was like yeah there's the balance like oh, i'm trying something new like you know i hope i can do it um you know because there's still other things i haven't really done a whole lot like a, you know like to me writing a historical novel would be like oh i could never do that just because i be overwhelmed by the research but yeah i mean when you're sort of you know fortunate enough to to get to a point where you publish multiple books honestly like there are certain points where like I'm trying to like not fool myself to getting to the chair, but you know, there are times like I'm trying to make, I'm trying to make each thing I do feel different. Cause I don't want it to feel like I'm just doing the same thing over and over again. But at the same time, you know, balancing that with the confidence, Oh, I've done this before. So I'll be able to do it again. But you, I also want to try to make it feel, you know, fresh or different to me. So um, yeah, just more psychological games with the writer head. <laughs> totally does does that thinking because i think we all do that right we it's however we can get ourselves in the chair whatever tricks does that extend to genre too like you you know you weren't always a horror writer is there a part of you that feels like let me try this other stuff again or try something new yeah so i mean it's funny so my first you know referencing the first two novels that were published uh were like these weird detective novels um but honestly, at the time, I felt like I was like this crime interloper because everything I'd written prior to that was mainly uh, horror short stories. Although I, I wrote like a weird science fiction satire. I mean, but the short answer is no, I, I would love to write. I feel the want to write like something more comedic or, or starting to mix comedic stuff in. I think, I, you know, I tried to do that with the Paul Bearers Club, have some moments of pathos and humor as well as horror. I think the next novel I'm going to start writing I want it to be some of it's going to be hopefully quite funny. Uh, and then some of it obviously be quite horrific. So I don't know, like I said, I'm very lucky that my publisher sort of is giving me sort of, I don't want to say carte blanche, but you know, they allow me to have sort of a pretty wide idea of what, what genre is. I guess the last thing I would say though, I mean, cause these, those are great questions and you made me think about like, I did this interview with Peter Straub like five, six, seven years ago. Um, you know, so Peter's passed away for just about a year now. Uh, and it was a really like sort of like a career retrospective because he had this uh, collection come out that was like the best of Peter Straub, essentially. Um, you know, and I asked him about genre. That's something he's wrestled with for a long time. And like he, I'm going to butcher what he said. Um, and he would said it way more eloquent, eloquently as well. But he said, you know, like when you go far enough in genre, there's, there's the only place you can go is sort of like out of it or something or, or more towards you know, the mixing of genre and literary and something like that. And I think about that a lot. Like, you know, I mean, obviously, obviously a lot of that is his personal experience. Um, but like, you know, I think of myself, like if I'm trying to do something different every time, I mean, at some point, I mean, not that you would ever run out of horror stories, but like, you know, there are other things I do want to try. So I don't know. Yeah. It's that's neat because I feel like, especially for Strom, like he was writing books when, or he was publishing books when people were buying books. <laughs> like, I would imagine there was pressure on him as there is on a lot of, you know, genre writers to just churn out that same thing. 
And I think he was successful in not doing that, but there must, like, he must have felt that, especially with the volume that he was writing and publishing. Yeah. I mean, I think he found it odd. I'd say really, especially like, you know, so Ghost Story was a big hit. That's sort of like, I mean, he had some other novels besides Ghost Story, but, you know, straight horror. And then he started writing uh, the Blue Rose trilogy, which were really sort of this like crime, you know, some horror, serial killer stuff. And he was always like, huh, I mean, I guess this is horror. I could. I guess it's more like crime and mystery too. I don't know. Yeah, this sort of is interesting. Are there for you horror tropes that feel too hard to work in prose? I don't know. Every time I feel like there's something, you know, someone does like a really cool thing with it, you know? So, well, too hard for you, I should say. Like something that that you would hold back. Come on. <laughs> oh, I mean, everything's too hard, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think a werewolf novel would be really hard. Like, you know, I, I have like an idea. I don't know, maybe down the road I'll, I'll try it, but I think that one would be kind of tough. But like, I also like, you know, Stephen Graham Jones's werewolf novel is amazing. Like, partly it's like, oh, I don't know if I could write that. And Rachel Harrison, uh, Rachel Harrison, such pretty teeth. Oh, such sorry, such sharp teeth, which came out I think two years ago. It's amazing. It's like wow, you're, you know, here are some people doing some really cool, you know, werewolf stuff. So every time. Oh, every time, like I thought, oh, zombie novel. Then there's something like, oh, wow, that was actually really cool. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Like it's it's exciting to see someone tackle that thing, and it does make you think, like, what? How would I do it? What's my take? Maybe someday I get to it. I don't know. Do you have this feeling? And I talk to a lot of writer friends in in again in all media uh, who are you know of of a certain age <laughs> as we are, who feel like I have so many stories to tell. I'm never going to be able to tell them all. Um, that's, that's the reality of life. Does that help you to choose your next project? Does your next project choose you? How does that work for you? Yeah, that's a great question. So again, like, I wish I was someone who had like, Oh, I have like this notebook full of stories that I want to write. Like, honestly, I, I usually go from novel to novel. Uh, and if I, if I think I have a novel idea, unlike the short story ideas, which I tend to go back to, um, like if I've written them down. Um, the novel ideas, like if I write them out a little bit and play with them, but don't go to them right away, uh, I usually don't go back to them because there's not that like intensity of, of interest on my side. So yeah, like even like, so I just finished a book called horror movie. Uh, the, I'm just finishing the copy edits. I think I was trying to think of, I was trying to think of some other book before that, but then the idea for that book hit me and it just really took over. And this other novel I was thinking of maybe doing, like went to the side again. So every time like something like that keeps going to the side, like I feel like I may not go back to it, but, but, but I will, I will, if I'm totally desperate and I get nothing else then I guess I suppose. But it also, so much is about timing, right? Like these, they, they find a way to present when they want to be told. I feel like. As a Gen Xer and someone who's usually, you know, a pessimist and obsessed with who's could and Bob Mould, he has a great song called The Descent on his record, Silver Age. And that came out when he was 50. Uh, Jesus, and that's like 10 years old now. That's crazy. You know, in the line toward the end of the song is my descent has now begun all the music left undone. Um, you know, it is, you know, speaking to sort of that fear of, you know, some people, writers of a certain age of thinking, man, the clock is ticking. But, you know, at the same time, you think of, you know, so many brilliant writers who didn't publish their first stuff until their 40s and sometimes their 50s. Right. Toni Morrison, for one, I don't think her first novel was wasn't published until past mid forties, I believe. So yeah, I mean, as much as you can't assume you have time, you should assume you have time. 
<laughs> I think that's yeah. that's good advice to end on. Um, and we'll end <laughs> as we always do by asking what you are watching on television these days or movies or books that you've read. Like what's getting you excited or inspired? You've named a few already, which is great. Um, but what are you talking about with your family, your friends, with your class? What are they going yeah. to do? <laughs> Uh, you know, usually family and friends were talking about football because it's fantasy football season. But uh, what I'm watching is The Changeling on Apple TV Plus, uh, and I'm sort of like doling it out. Like I don't want to just totally binge the whole thing because it's based on Victor Laval's wonderful novel, The Changeling. So I've watched a few episodes and we try to catch a few more this weekend. Uh, the summer, honestly, one of the most fun things I did before my call, my daughter went to college, is we she had like a list of movies she wanted to watch, so we watched a lot of these movies on our list a lot of them are like classic horror movies like you know the fly and uh the ring and then you know some other stuff like that and uh, uh, we did watch a recent werewolf movie which i really love it's called the wolf of snow hollow um it's so totally strange like i really admire that to have so many different sort of things happening uh reading wise i keep talking about <laughs> um mariana enriquez's uh, our share of night which is you know the best book i've read in 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 a long time in, in in a in a set of years where i've read like a bunch of amazing books like that book to me just is a towering achievement uh, but i know coming geez it's almost october coming in october is i'm looking around on my desk to see if i have it but a, a haunting on the hill which is elizabeth han had permission from the shirley jackson estate to write a novel set in hill house so it's not really necessarily a direct sequel it's more like Here's a story set at the actual Hill House, you know, in, in, in modern day. And it's really wonderful. These are great recommendations. Um, we'll look for both of them. Um, thank you so much, Paul. And congrats on the new book. Uh, folks should go absolutely go check out The Beast You Are. Uh, it's, it's a, it, there are great stories in there. It's a fun read. It's a dark read <laughs> uh, in yeah. the best way. Well, thanks, Ben. I really appreciate it. This was fun.